Thank you for listening to Family Chemotherapy, sponsored by NetSocial, the cutting-edge social marketing company that is always there to help you navigate the ever-changing world of social media. If you are trying to get your new podcast idea recognized, your business up and running, or any other dream you may have, let the team over at NetSocial help you. Put in promo code FAMILYCHEMOTHERAPY at checkout and save 10% off your first purchase at netsocial.net. Welcome to Family Chemotherapy, a corner for parents and caretakers fighting and surviving pediatric cancer. I'm your host, Adriana Lewin. Today's episode is going to be about coping with the diagnosis. This episode is probably going to take me a couple of episodes to really get into the nitty gritty of it, but I also don't want to overwhelm you and make this podcast overly long. So we're going to try and keep this one short. And then if it runs into another episode, then that's what we're going to do. So coping with a diagnosis. Nobody prepares you for the worst news you will ever receive. When your anxiety and fears become a reality. When you hear the words, your child has cancer. You have an overwhelming mix of emotions. You have sadness. You have anxiety. You have confusion. Shock. You have anger at yourself and maybe at the doctors who missed the diagnosis before you finally got the final diagnosis. You could feel any one of these emotions or you could feel all of them at the same time. But I would definitely say the most common and probably the most overwhelming emotion will be fear. You're going to have an overwhelming sense of fear of how bad is it? Where is the cancer? Has this cancer spread? How bad will it be? And will my child live to see the next birthday or even the next holiday? You have the fear of what you don't know. You don't see the cancer because the cancer is on the inside of the body. Some of us may be able to actually see the cancer visible from the outside. My son Evan, he has orbital rhabdomyosarcoma, but it also went into the paramenindula area. So I started noticing those changes well over a month before he finally got a diagnosis and before I could get someone to take me serious about what I was seeing. I noticed that gradual change in his eye and it was ever, ever so slight to where only really me as his mother who looks at his face every single day could notice. And so I was able to notice the tumor developing on the outside. Even though I didn't know what it was, I had the suspicion of it was not something good. But what I couldn't see was exactly how big it was and where it actually lived in his body. You may be wondering how bad your everyday life will be and how bad it will be to manage the symptoms and the side effects of him having cancer and also going through chemotherapy or some sort of radiation therapy or immunotherapy. Most of us have never really encountered other families who have children with a pediatric cancer because it's not very common. And so when I found our family in the situation where Evan was diagnosed with cancer, I didn't have any friends who had cancer or much less pediatric cancer. So I was really in the dark and I was really afraid of all the different scenarios that I played out in my mind. And I immediately envisioned how I've seen adults with cancer portrayed as. So there's that fear of 
how bad it is and how bad every day will be and how bad the pain management and the symptoms and the side effects would be. But there's also the fear of the uncertainty. What are the million different lifestyle changes that I need to do to keep my child as safe as possible? What does that even look like? What are the side effects that he's going to experience? And what are the risks for the different types of treatments and the likelihood of those risks? For example, depending on the type of cancer that your child has, you will end up having to take certain regimen or a protocol, what they call the the treatment plan. And those specific drugs that are used all have their own side effects and the risks from the chemo itself. And I wish we could ask them and say, okay, give me percentages. Tell me, is it a 10% likelihood that this will happen? Or is it a 25% or a 75% likelihood that the common or the less common side effects will occur? But they can't give us those numbers. And that's because they tell us every single child is different and every body is different. Each child has his own special genetic code and his special genetic makeup and all of the different environmental and physical and genetic factors will play into how your child will tolerate or not tolerate chemotherapy. And so keeping that in mind, they can't tell you those risks and what the likelihood of those risks will be for your specific child. And it makes it hard because... You have to make these decisions on maybe different treatment protocols and you have to make that decision without really truly knowing how your child will fare on either one of those. And there really is no rhyme or reason as to how some are doing very well and others require more hospital stays, for example. Or if a specific chemotherapy drug will give your child a full response or not. And all of these play into that fear and the anxiety over the uncertainty. We find ourselves in a very unfamiliar territory. And as positive as we try to stay, in our minds, we might envision the worst. Pediatric cancer is so uncommon that when you get that diagnosis, it's surreal. You can't help but wonder, is this really happening? What is going to be our new real What will our day-to-day look like going forward? And how can I get past this when psychologically and emotionally it is taking such a toll? Will I ever feel normal again? How did this happen? You question how in the world your precious child could have cancer. And how are we as a family going to adapt to this? There are going to be so many different changes that need to be made, whether it be schooling or becoming more strict about hand washing and avoiding germs. In my home, I have other children and one who is still a toddler. She was two years old when Evan was diagnosed. Actually, she was about two weeks shy from turning two years old when Evan was diagnosed. And that precious little girl depends so much on me. She has never been in school, 
and she is very much attached to me. She had stranger danger for a very long time, and she wouldn't even go with anyone except for me, and at times her dad. But she was a mama's girl through and through. My five-year-old, I was worried that he was going to have to make significant lifestyle changes that he was also old enough to be aware of everything that we were doing with my two-year-old I was more concerned about her feeling my absence and having that separation anxiety but with my five-year-old he was very aware of what was going on and we knew that he too was going to have to make some changes at that point so early on in the diagnosis we hadn't really hashed out all the the strategy behind what we were going to do moving forward. But we found ourselves traveling to Houston, and I wasn't sure how I could physically and emotionally be there for my two children, who were very healthy, and then also be there for Evan, who really needed me the most at this time. As a therapist, I recognized the importance of having mom around and trying to keep things as normal as possible. But I also saw how this change in our whole dynamic in the family because of a pediatric cancer diagnosis, I recognized how that was going to affect my children emotionally and psychologically in the short term and long term, which was really hard. And I'm sure many of you who have more than one child, more than the child that's been diagnosed, you also understand the struggle of the balance. And it's so easy to get caught up in my cancer kid needs me the most right now. And it almost makes the other children feel neglected. And so it's important to keep in mind that yes, although your cancer kid probably does need you the most, your two other kids also need you equally as bad because They too are feeling the changes in the dynamic. They too are afraid about the other sibling having a cancer diagnosis. Even though they may not fully comprehend if they're young enough, they'll they'll feel the difference in the day-to-day routine. And if they're old enough, they'll be able to understand a little more that a cancer diagnosis isn't good. And they also have those fears of what does that really mean? The whole situation is just so unfair to the whole family. It really is. So, true story, the day that we found out about Evan, I went to the oncologist appointment with my spiral notebook and pen because i that's just who I am. I like to show up well-prepared. And I was ready to write everything down. I still had a little bit of hope that we would show up and that they would actually tell us that it wasn't cancer. But I don't know why I envisioned the appointment being the oncologist, the radiologist who took the MRI images, and Lord knows who else would be sitting at that table and telling us about the diagnosis, maybe the treatment plan, and all the other details. But instead, we were waiting in a small, tiny exam room for at least an hour, and I I mean, at least on the positive side, we had a window And the doctor finally comes in and finally tells us about Evan's diagnosis. She tells us that Evan has rhabdomyosarcoma. 
and the tears begin to well up in my eyes. And I look around the room, and I couldn't even find a box of tissues. Now, as a therapist, you know to have a box of tissues around because you never can expect when someone's going to cry. Well, here I am in an office dealing with cancer, and it's a diagnosis, so it's the first time I'm going to hear, yes, your child has cancer. So you would think that, you know, the office would make sure to have tissue boxes stacked in all the rooms, but they didn't. How in the world did they not have a box of tissues? They're delivering one of the worst news that a parent could ever hear, and they didn't have a box of tissues so I could wipe away tears or clean up the mess that was about to pour out of my nose because I am an ugly crier, and my nose immediately runs like the Niagara Falls with one small tear that comes out of my eyes. I'm hearing her tell me that Evan has cancer, and I had to keep myself from allowing any tears to flow, or I would have a very tearful, very snotty mess with nowhere to wipe but maybe my sleeve, and that's pretty gross. And I don't really think that she wants to see me do that. So I kept telling myself, just listen. Just listen and focus on all the information that this doctor is communicating and try to understand what this news means for Evan and for the family. So if you're about to get a diagnosis, I highly recommend that you take in a little package of Kleenex, maybe to even all of your appointments. But once you do get the diagnosis that your child has some form of pediatric cancer, you may experience the fear of, is this doctor the best for this type of cancer? Does this doctor have enough experience in diagnosing, possibly misdiagnosing, the type of cancer that your child has. Are we moving fast enough is another question. Because you generally know that when someone has cancer, it could be aggressive and it can metastasize in the rest of the body. And so one of your first questions immediately is going to be, has it metastasized? And if it hasn't, how long is it going to be before we start chemo? And is there a possibility that the cancer can metastasize during the wait? I was pretty surprised that from the time that we got an MRI to getting a biopsy, to getting a diagnosis, to getting a port put in and chemo started, that was almost two weeks. And that was really surprising to me. And it was difficult for me to feel confident in that whole process because I was worried about the tumor growing and metastasizing. And once they tell you what the treatment plan is, what they recommend, or if they ask you for your personal preference, you've got that fear of what the short-term side effects might be and what the long-term side effects of the chemo might be. There's just so much information being thrown at you all at once within a two-hour time span, basically, and then you have to make these important decisions and you have to sign off on papers to move forward when you barely have time to process what is happening. And as they say, time is of essence. And so even if you wanted to spend a little bit of time to think about it, 
you've got that nagging feeling that you've got to hurry up because your child's life is on the line. And so you really do hurry through making the best decision as possible with the given information that's been given to you at the time of diagnosis. And when you ask them, should I be getting a second opinion? They should always encourage you to get a second opinion. The downside on the second opinion is that you inevitably end up prolonging the amount of time it takes to have your child seen because other hospitals like to run their own labs on the biopsy that was taken and they like to make their own diagnosis as well. And so that ends up pushing out the treatment plan and getting your child's port put in place But getting that second opinion is so important because you want to make sure that you've had two separate set of eyes look at the biopsy and determine if they both agree with the same diagnosis. And if not, then at that point, you have to hurry and make another decision about who do you trust and which way do you want to move forward in terms of treatment. As you may know, or maybe you don't know, each type of cancer has a specific regimen that is the golden standard that will give you the best results for full response to chemo. And the reason why that's important is because when you're making a decision on the treatment plan or the doctors are making a decision on the treatment plan, you want to make sure that it is the right type of chemotherapy to treat that specific type of cancer because you don't want it to create a bigger obstacle in the long run if you have to change the chemotherapy because that specific chemo wasn't helping at all. I know it's a lot of information and it's a lot to think about, but I also know that you will do your best to make the best informed decision possible as you can. When I look back at the first month or two of being introduced to pediatric cancer, honestly, it was like walking through a cloud. It really felt Like I was experiencing the stages of grief from the diagnosis, from the denial, from the confusion of the diagnosis and what was actually happening to the shock that this was actually happening and the fear that this is actually happening. I experienced anger with myself and with the many doctors that I visited multiple times throughout a few weeks to keep pushing and trying to get someone to help me and see what I was seeing to get a diagnosis of what was going on. But I also had to learn forgiveness goes a long way. I had to learn to forgive myself for not catching it sooner. Even though I kept pushing and pushing and pushing, there are times that I wish I would have pushed a little harder. And I've had to learn to forgive myself. So if you're struggling to forgive yourself for not catching it sooner, Do yourself a favor and do your child a favor and learn to forgive yourself for that. It doesn't take away the emotion of guilt, but learning to forgive yourself and give yourself grace because you were doing the best that you could. You may need to forgive yourself for not pushing harder. You might need to forgive yourself for trusting the many doctors that you did trust when they didn't catch the cancer sooner. Overall, forgiveness is so important. You need to forgive yourself and others. You are only human, and doctors are only human. It doesn't mean that you can't feel angry 
but it means that you are choosing to not dwell in that anger and in that guilt. Focus on your well-being and being there for your child so that you can focus on their treatment as much as possible. And if you're anything like me, even though I did grant forgiveness before doing this, I still felt the need for a sense of closure. And by that, I felt the need to confront the people, the doctors that misdiagnosed him and missed the diagnosis because I felt the need to tell them that they made a very significant mistake so that they could be aware of it and prevent that in the future. And when I say confront, I don't mean yell belligerently and name call and tell them that they're stupid and incompetent doctors. What I mean by confront is being able to tell them, hey, I thought you should know that you missed this diagnosis and you chose to not listen to my concerns. And it's frustrating that you chose not to listen to those concerns because time is of essence and you missed it, especially when I came to see you X amount of times. You can communicate slash confront someone with grace so that those doctors are aware of their mistakes so that they can learn from those mistakes. Because ultimately, even though they failed to diagnose your child, I never want another family to have to experience what I experienced. And I want other families to be able to catch cancer at an earlier stage, if at all possible, because you can't prevent cancer in your child. It just happens. And so the anger at the doctor isn't always about the doctor missing the diagnosis. It's the anger that your child even has cancer because they're lack of diagnosis, or if they would have caught it earlier, doesn't change the fact that your child has cancer. And as I have experienced, do not expect those doctors to ever apologize. Your forgiveness should not be dependent on someone apologizing to you for their mistake. Another stage in the grief cycle is bargaining. Telling God or For yourself that if your child gets better, you promise to fill in the blank, dot, dot, dot. You may feel depression, either in deep sorrow and crying, or maybe all of a sudden having this excessive need to sleep all the time, a lack of energy, or maybe you start to comfort eat out of control, maybe, or you just lose your appetite altogether. Or you may start feeling this overwhelming sense of anger. Men actually typically feel depression through anger. So keep that in mind when you start noticing that you're just constantly more agitated, feeling hopeless, more crying, more sleeping, eating more or less. Those are all signs of depression. So keep your eye on that and try to identify if something is different in you and how you're coping with the diagnosis. And if you do have signs of depression, again, be kind to yourself. You are going through something very traumatic, and it's hard not to have a physiological response to that. By that I mean your body will respond to it even if you are trying to mentally not respond to it. 
And another stage of the grief cycle is acceptance. How do you move forward and how do you acclimate to the diagnosis? Can you accept that there may not be a positive outcome? You may learn to accept that this is your new normal, or you may struggle to accept that. But in the stage of acceptance, you slowly begin to accept that sense that this is your new normal. And I don't think you truly ever fully accept. Unlike grief due to loss, it is a done deal. When we lose somebody, we can't bring our deceased loved one back. But when it deals with our children with pediatric cancer, our kids still have a chance, albeit for some a very small chance, but we still cling to that hope. If not for our sake, then for our child's sake. So as you see, yes, we do go through the grief stages. Grief in a cancer diagnosis is a roller coaster. We go through the cycle over and over and over again hoping that we can get off because it is not fun. But there is no end to this ride and all the adrenaline, all the fear and anxiety, and even the laughs filled with the experience of uncertain fear. We feel it with every aspect of treatment. Every time our child hits the neutropenia stage, with every surgery our child has to undergo, and all the adverse side effects of chemo, radiation, and all the other drugs that our children have to take. And just when you feel like the ride is starting to level out, you can expect that dip to hit at any point during the treatment because even when your child handles chemo a certain way every time you do it, you can expect that one-off chance where it's not going to go as smooth as it has gone. But I will say that now that we are about four months into our treatment plan, the ups and downs aren't as crazy as they were for us at the very beginning. You do learn to expect the unexpected. And so you kind of live your life with a tight grip on that little roller coaster, knowing that you just don't know what's coming around that bend. And you learn to also accept that it's okay, that it's not always going to be okay because you know that you will take each moment and tackle each adversity that comes your way. And just like in the normal grief cycle, you can feel all of these emotions all at once. They are not linear. You're not going to say, first I'm feeling anger, then I'm going to feel depression. It could literally be First you feel depression, then you feel anger, then you feel acceptance, then you go back to depression, then you go back to shock and denial. You are constantly going to go through each and every one of these stages, and sometimes you will go through multiple of those stages at the same time, and that's what grief is actually like. And keep in mind that while you're moving through these stages of grief, You and your partner and your child with cancer or your children who are siblings will experience the stages differently. You will be at different stages at different points in time, and you will never fully ever line up with anybody else. And if you do by chance happen to line up at the same stage of the grief cycle, I guarantee you it will not be for long. 
And so keep in mind that if you're still struggling with a depression and the denial and your spouse has learned to accept the diagnosis and move forward and tackle it at a different angle, it doesn't mean that that person is not grieving. It just means that they're at a different stage for that moment and for that day. Because tomorrow, even though today he or she may feel like they have gained a certain level of acceptance, tomorrow they could go back into anger or denial or the depression. And so each and every one of those stages They're not going to be permanent. You're going to move in and out of those in a very fluid form and no one's ever going to line up with you. So be kind to your spouse or your children if they're not feeling the same emotions as you are. Every person handles stress and loss differently. Be assured though that what you are experiencing is truly a loss. Some of those losses that you're grieving by having a child with pediatric cancer is a loss of normalcy and a loss of freedom. And when I say a loss of freedom, I mean freedom to freely go to an indoor entertainment venue. You're losing your freedom to go dine in at a restaurant like you may normally do. You're losing the freedom to go to movies and aquariums. If you've got younger kids, you can't really ever take them to bounce houses And you start having to realize that there's the loss of the freedom to freely go to a birthday party. And that's a hard one for little ones. It's hard for parents or kids who are old enough to understand when you see their friends and their peers living life as happy and as normal as you were living it before the diagnosis. And when you see that on social media, it just stings even more. Your kids start to lose the freedom to go to school. In the U.S., kids who are diagnosed can be homebound, like homeschooling basically, but a teacher comes to teach your child. And some withdraw all the kids from school and move to homeschooling all the kids at home just to protect the cancer kid as much as possible. Those siblings have a hard loss as well when they're taken out of school Because they lose the same thing as their sibling with cancer, but they aren't even sick. And that's hard for them to understand, especially when they're younger. They can't understand truly why they're being pulled out from school or have to limit their interactions with their friends when they're not sick. Those who do get to go to school still, they sense very directly what they are missing out on by being aware of all the extracurricular activities and birthday parties they now have to miss. And they see their friends talking about it the weekend after it happens. If your child is still enrolled in school, they're going to see their friends and they'll still get some chances to play with them outside, but they won't have the same opportunities to hang out with them outside of the school environment, which will be very difficult for them to adjust to. And if you do decide to pull those kids from school, they're going to have a hard time because they're going to miss their friends and they're going to miss playing with those friends at recess or even outside of school. As a family with cancer diagnosis, we miss out in participating in activities that other kids are involved in. 
Some kids may be missing out on their prom or their homecoming or school dances. If they were really involved in theater, they're going to miss out on the school plays. If they were involved in sports, they no longer get to participate in those athletic activities and they don't get to be around their teammates that they used to be in the same capacity that they used to be. They may miss out on those sleepovers. Personally, for our family, we almost didn't get to have Christmas at home, and for some, they won't. Some families are stuck in the hospital during Christmas or their birthdays. We didn't get to enjoy our yearly family gathering at Thanksgiving because when we found out about Evan's diagnosis, it was literally the night before Thanksgiving, and all day Thanksgiving, we had to decide whether or not we were going to leave out of town to try and find a biopsy to confirm whether or not Evan had cancer. I met a family recently when we were admitted to the hospital for a more intense chemo. I met a family that was diagnosed in November of the same month and year that Evan was diagnosed, but they had been in the hospital since November. And that was, that's been four months and they were only allowed to go home for three days. So they missed having Christmas at home with their family and they missed Thanksgiving as well. And so we miss out on these activities that we're used to normally participating and looking forward to. Another loss that we experience is the loss of relatability. And that's a really big one for all the members in the family, because when you do talk to your friends, you may struggle to find being able to relate to what they're going through and vice versa. They may struggle relating to you because they know that you're going through so much. And inadvertently, what happens is you experience a gradual loss of your friends. And some people honestly experience ghosting, which is truly sad that a family who's going through this type of diagnosis also starts to lose friends. Financially, you may have some losses. Either one or both parents may lose the ability to work depending on the severity of the diagnosis. And with all of these different losses, one of the most important ones that we truly lose is our sense of peace. Of dreaming your child will graduate, go to college, meet someone, fall in love, and get married, and eventually have children of their own. You want to think about it, and you want to dream about it, but you can't do it with the same sense of peace and belief that it will happen than you used to. It's like it's been tainted. And although you want to remain optimistic and think happy thoughts and try and let yourself go there and think positively about the future... There's always that little underlying nagging feeling that's telling you, keep it in check. We have lost the peace of living our life naively happy. And I don't know if that's something that will ever go back to what it used to be before a cancer diagnosis. You may get something that's very close to it but never exactly how it was before this all happened. So as you can see, we have truly experienced some really big losses. And a pediatric cancer diagnosis has created so many losses that we truly experience 
the grief cycle as though someone has passed away, except we never get to move past the acceptance stage because it's constantly changing and constantly evolving. These are all things that you will likely experience upon a cancer diagnosis. And every person responds differently to crisis. So I don't want to put this out there and say that you're going to fall into depression and you're not going to be able to overcome this. What I will say, though, is take it day by day, moment by moment when you need to. We're used to thinking about our life in terms of a week from now, two weeks from now, three weeks from now, or even a couple of months from now, what we plan to do because we even plan vacations as such. But when there's pediatric cancer in your family, you learn to take every single day for what it is and process the emotion that day, process the emotion at that moment, because it all varies throughout the day on certain days. And when you feel like crying, let yourself cry. Do not hold back any of these emotions. Crying is not a sign of weakness. It is a sign of how much you love that person. And through every tear, you are releasing energy, negative energy in particular, and allowing for more room for hope and peace and faith that you can overcome this no matter what the outcome is. Living through the diagnosis of pediatric cancer, it will require stamina, mental stamina, and endurance that you may have never had to prepare for or experience in your life. And as the days go by, you will find strength within you beyond your own comprehension, a strength that you never knew that you had and a determination to be the best version of you every single day so that you can be the best person for your child fighting for his life and for the family. And when you feel weak, take courage. I used to hate it when people used to tell me, oh, you're so strong because I felt that they just didn't see me or didn't hear me. And they didn't see how much I was falling apart on the inside. But now, now that time has passed, I find myself honestly almost being proud of how strong I have been through all of this because I refuse to let cancer take away my joy. And I refuse to let cancer blind me from all the blessings that I have in my life. I highly recommend that you find a support group online that is specific to the type of cancer that your child is dealing with because the parents on those support groups, they have walked your walk and they may have done all the research and are invaluable source of information and they get what you're going through and they are so wonderful when you do feel like you need to vent or when you hear somebody else venting about something that you're struggling with as well, it helps to normalize everything that we're going through and everything that we're feeling. And so I highly recommend that you do find a group online so that you can also experience that sense of community because those people that you meet on that support group honestly begin to feel a lot like family because they get what you're going through 
and they can relate to everything that you're feeling. If you are struggling with depression or you find yourself incapable of doing the things that you used to do and be present for your kids, finding a therapist is so important and so critical. If you don't currently have a therapist, I say meet with a doctor or find a prescribing therapist, like a psychologist, psychiatrist, that you can meet with and consider taking medication for the depression or the anxiety. It's not permanent, but it could be something that you use to temporarily get you out of the deep hole that you find yourself in. There is nothing wrong with taking medication to help you. What's most important is that you are able to function and be at a level where you can be there for your family and for your cancer kid. Because unfortunately, going through pediatric cancer, it is a timely process. And for some of us, it's just a few months. And for the rest of us, it may be years. So I highly recommend that you consider taking medication to help you throughout the entire treatment. And if you do decide to take medication, make sure before you decide to quit taking the medication that you discuss it with your doctor because you can't just cut the medication out. You have to be weaned from it. So I'm going to end this episode here and I will resume the next part on episode four. have some really great speakers coming up soon. If you have found this podcast helpful or you just love the mission for family chemotherapy, please kindly rate this podcast. If you want to support this podcast and ministry, please consider becoming a patron. You can visit patreon.com forward slash family chemotherapy. You can become a patron for as little as $3 a month. That's less than a cup of coffee. Also, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest for additional resources that I do share daily. Please tag and share your friends and other pediatric cancer families that you think would benefit from any of the content from Family Chemotherapy. Thank you, and I can't wait to share the next episode. Together, we can help heal the whole family.